The war in Ukraine, terrible as it is, has created the conditions for extraordinary opportunities to work with Ukrainian engineers and scientists. Ukrainian scientists, that I know anyways, are some of the best in the world, and they can do great things. So I'm keen to get as many of these guys into my lab as possible. That's Rod O'Connor, a Canadian neuroscientist working in France. More from him in a moment. Universities are all set up to encourage collaboration. Ellen Goddard is a professor at the University of Alberta. And we can certainly benefit both at the student level and at the research program level. Number two, that hopefully some of these people, when the war is over, and they will go back and continue their services in their country. That's Nadir Erbogen. Coming to Canada in 2007, as an emigre scientist, he knows what it's like to be transplanted from one culture to another. And he'll talk about that later in the podcast. Science, the vast global enterprise that it is, nevertheless is a compact world of relationships built on mutual curiosity, academic trust, and of course, funding. I first met Rod O'Connor over 20 years ago when he was an undergraduate at Laurentian University in Ontario. And over the years, I've watched his scientific career bloom. Today, he leads a bioelectronics lab at MINS. That's French for Mines, one of France's leading engineering schools, where he's also a professor. On the forefront of cancer research, Dr. O'Connor and his team build electromagnetic therapeutic devices. It's highly technical and specialized work. And this is where the story gets personal. After Russia invaded Ukraine, Rod wondered how a former colleague was doing, a Ukrainian scientist, Sergei Romanenko. They first met as postdocs at Caltech in California. And uh, after that, I, I got him a, helped him get another job in Australia where he went down and he, he was there for a long time. And I, I thought he was still there, in fact, until very recently. I messaged him online just to see how he was doing and what he thought was happening back in, in Kiev. And I learned, to my surprise, that he was actually stuck in Kiev. He had to return to his country because of COVID and was, was there working at uh, his old institute, which is a very famous place called Volgamets Institute, which is a medical university. So yeah, I was surprised to find he was there. He was in Kiev. And in fact, when I heard from him, he was hiding outside the city somewhere in a bunker, probably like a farmhouse out in the country somewhere. And I've been in touch with him ever since. So how did you and another colleague uh, come to the idea that perhaps you might be able to help him by assisting him to get out of the country and to where you are in France? Sure. So so I have a friend, a very good friend, who who actually works in my lab. He's an engineer. Name's Martin. And Martin's from Slovakia. So he's a neighbor. So neighbor and, meaning Slovakia borders Ukraine. Exactly. I mean, it's still not close. It's still between 8 and 12 hours to Kiev. And so Martin happened to be going home to visit Slovakia to get the equivalent to his safety on his car. So he goes home to get that and said, well, let's let's turn this into a mission to extract this guy. Martin um, heard that, that he was there, and we decided to hatch a plan to bring him back to France and try and get him back into this country, find him a job, and set him up with his family, I think. So that, that's the plan. So this is an informal approach to what is rapidly becoming formalized. I guess in France, you just learned that there is uh, incentives. Yep. So how many other scientists do you know that are doing the same thing? 
Um, I, I know three or four that are doing the same thing. In fact, my institute, which is an engineering school down here in the south of France, an incentive was set up by um, Collège de France, which is one of the oldest uh, prestigious schools in Paris, in cooperation with, I think, PSL, which is the Paris School of Letters. It's the, it's the big sort of Sorbonne. And they put together, I guess, a, a plan called Program Pause. And Program Pause is a means of bringing Ukrainian scientists and engineers to France, um, initially for a period of three months. And it includes bringing their families. There is some risk involved in what you're doing. Is your institute prepared to take that risk with you? Well, well, my institute's probably going to take on the risk of, of bringing this scientist in for a few months. Uh, my institute also asked us in our departments to, to propose the different topics. We could attract people to, to the different labs and departments and find them a place in France. So, yeah, so the, there's not a lot of risk, to be honest, because it, it's, Slovakia is quite safe still. And I'm actually not going to do it as an official work function. I'm going to take a holiday, let's say, and and go with Martin to to the border and um, and try and get our colleague and bring him back here and, and take care of him. What can you tell me about ongoing research and scientists in Ukraine that you may know who have had to abandon their research because of the invasion? Can you help them out? Well, we have lots of space at our institute. So we have a lot of training networks that we're part of. So we're kind of set up as a place for short-term visits. And we can bring in bring in uh, probably quite a few people, but um, yeah, it's it's a, it's an odd situation because the the surprise to me was first finding that he was you know hiding in a bunker, that that's a big surprise. The first conversation I had with him, I, I actually was was discussing potential job opportunities for him. So I'm trying to find him a longer term opportunity in France because the the stark reality is not only will he not have a career to go back to now, he doesn't have an institute. So as far as I know, it's it's shelled or damaged or, or or maybe not even you know tenable as a place that he could return to, um, and and from hearing from him when he was actually hiding in this bunker, in fact he told me that they had to leave all the research animals because they work with they have some mice and they have some rabbits and and things like this that they that they do um, studies with. So in fact he had to abandon all those, and one of the people from from his bunker went back to feed them. I can't even imagine this as a concern. You you wouldn't think about that, right? But when you abandon a research facility in an institute, all the animals that are that are part of the experiments you're doing, and someone's got to go take care of them. So someone was brave enough to go back and and take care of them. And uh, and I guess the real issue now is that logistically, there's no delivery of the food for the animals. And there's no. I mean, this is a not, not a serious thing because people are starving there as well, right? The, the population have no food distribution because logistics have broken down. But of course, it affects the animals, uh, research animals, animals, companions, pet people's pets. I mean, that that's something that that really I hadn't thought much about of until my daughter asked that. You know, what are people doing with their dogs and their cats? And they don't see them being taken on the train so much. So, what's happening to all the animals? And that's uh, that's something I hadn't thought of much. Let's stay with that a moment more. Speaking of pets and people coming and going, yeah, your colleague in this instance is he allowed to leave Ukraine? At the moment, no, he's, he's actually not. And we're hoping that for that to change. So in fact, when trying to plan our window when we can go and collect him, we actually need to know roughly when he can leave. So at the moment, he can't. So no men that are, I think, uh, in that sort of fighting age, I guess it's under 60, are actually leaving the country. So in fact, uh, he couldn't physically leave if he wanted to right now. And, uh, and I, I don't think he does want to. Uh, he's a brave guy. And in fact, when he worked in my laboratory, he worked on leeches, like bloodsuckers. 
and he worked on the nervous system of those blood suckers, which is work that he started at Caltech. So he was working on them. But it was surprising for me to hear that he's actually a paramedic right now. So his his contribution to the current ongoing effort, because he did medical training in the sense that he did physiology and science and electrophysiology, because he's a, he's a neurophysiologist. He's out there actually, you know, treating people's wounds and helping people in hospitals and and doing the very rudimentary things that, that he can as a paramedic. This situation in Ukraine has really rattled a lot of relationships between countries and research science. Have I got that right? I mean, what does the future look like? Well, I, it's not so clear to me. I mean, I think European science still goes on. I mean, there's there's still the European science foundation. I mean, people were still submitting European grants up until a few weeks ago, including me. But um, in terms of with Russia, I think it's slightly different because obviously there's lots of collaborations people have with Russian schools. Colleagues of mine, for example, have collaborations with Kazakhstan and, and countries like that, where they actually have partnerships with my school, with different countries. And as a consequence of what's happening right now, things are changing in France as far as the security levels. So you have to have a certain security clearance. It's really changing very rapidly, I would say, on a week-by-week basis as far as the regulations for, you know, what countries can come and visit. I had a professor on a PhD thesis. One of my students graduated just a week ago, and uh, one of the professors on that committee couldn't come because he, he was actually from Lithuania. He wasn't confident that it would be safe for him to fly and also was worried maybe about not getting back into his country. So let's get back to Sergei Romanenko. Any idea what his situation is now? Has he called you? I mean, yeah, I spoke to him today at about uh, at about noon here, French time. I asked him if he had filled in the paperwork because, you know, France is a bureaucratic country. So even if you want to accept scientists into France, there's a bit of paperwork to do. So he's he's actually wrote this back to me. Hi, Rod. Yes, I am mostly okay. I haven't slept for two nights now, two nights without sleep. We went to the nearest city outside of Kiev and are now stuck on the way back home. I left my computer back home, the current one, so we'll not have access to it till later in the afternoon. I'll try to read and do things right away. Sorry for the delays. So here he is apologizing to me for not getting paperwork done on time. Hasn't slept for two days. Don't know where they're going. They're, they're sort of wandering around between cities trying to find safer places. So, I mean, it, I, I can't even imagine this. Rod O'Connor is a Canadian neuroscientist and head of the Department of Bioelectronics at the St. Etienne campus of École de Mines, Mines, one of France's premier engineering schools. Later in the podcast, you'll be hearing more about Sergei Romanenko, who, as of this recording, is still hunkered down near Kiev. Now, it might be insensitive to ask, but does the war in Ukraine propose an opportunity for Canadian research and universities to attract talent? It's a question I put to Ellen Goddard. I think it it, it absolutely does. Dr. Goddard is a professor in the Faculty of Environmental Life and Environmental Sciences at the University of Alberta. There are researchers in the Ukraine, as we know, that have been working on things that feed into the global pot of science, interrupting them for what could be an indeterminate period in the future is a waste for everybody. It's in everybody's best interest to ensure that they can continue their work in some way. Let's uh, talk about the specifics of, let's say you're either a graduate student or a a bench scientist. You're four years into a five-year research cycle, and then this happens. It's an absolutely nightmare scenario. 
when you think about animal science, for example, there are animals left in the middle of all of this, all sorts of trials of your experiment. Uh, It's simply not able to be completed. Not all of that can be picked up, but it's possible that some of it can be put back together in a way that will enable you to complete your studies and do productive research. Some of it may need to be done over again. Ellen Goddard, now that you've called it for what it is, a nightmare scenario, have you been talking to your fellow colleagues in the university system and research about possibilities for a plan A, let alone a plan B, about what to do? So I have started talking to people in other European countries about um, connections um, that they have within Ukraine in particular and uh, what we can do to support it. It, It's difficult. It's really difficult at this particular time if everybody is on the move. The other thing is that it is really difficult, and I recognize this, for governments to figure out which things they can just pull out of the system and not require for people to walk through immigration as they get off a plane. You've had an opportunity, as I have had, to see how the rest of the world is moving to get past obstacles to people coming into our country, Canada, and working in the research science sector. And I think one of the things that you've noticed, uh, notably in France, is that they seem to be expediting the paperwork. Can you talk a bit about that? To be fair, the actual structure of the EU, they've had processes. They're, They're used to dealing with different languages, different descriptions of programs, all of that kind of stuff. And it's much more difficult for Canada to gear up as quickly as possible. However, it's not beyond the pale that we can do it. So as a researcher, you can apply to any of the national funding level agencies in Canada right now to support a Ukrainian postdoctoral student, for example, and uh, bring them over here. They're not going to give you an enormous amount of money, but perhaps your research grant that the person will fit into will cover the rest of it. I hope we continue this level of interest and support until this situation is over. And you know that the situation is not over, even if a peace negotiation was signed tomorrow. The situation continues for a very long time. These people need our support in the longer term. When you compare the war in Ukraine with other recent calamities like Yemen and Syria, there's quite a difference. The humanitarian response, for one. Nadir Elbergen is a scientist and a department chair at the University of Alberta. When I see on the TVs that Europeans are opening their arms for Ukrainians, that's good. But in the same time, they're kicking out the Syrian refugees. And it's very interesting in European media, some German TV reporter, I think, he or she said, these people come in our blue eyes. They're not definitely the Syrians. There is some racial component here. I don't want to blame anything, right? Cultural uh, similarities or cultural, there are some common values that they share with these societies. And perhaps that's why they make them more welcome than third world countries. Does this not provide us with a challenge to get things right, especially when it comes to Russian scientists who want to come here? Well, I think we should open those things. People living in a country doesn't mean that they support the government's policies. 
in this case, maybe it's one person's agenda, really. So I don't think we should ignore the Russian scientists. And they have a tremendous potential, too. We cannot blame the Russian scientists what happened, unless they really work in the government laboratories and uh, and supporting the government activities. You know, we cannot blame the whole society. Important thing is, I think we need to be open-minded. We need to open-minded. Russians also should be welcoming here. So let's just say a year from now or two years or however out it is from peace. What does it look like from your point of view? You're at the University of Alberta, which is a major institution in Canada, a research institution, which would be looking for smart people who are coming from as a diaspora from other parts of the world. Best case scenario, if we get enough funding and that will be uh, having a educated people, right, serving at the University of Alberta, I think it's going to improve the university's research capacity. I really, really see benefits from both, not just Ukrainian and the Russians, you know, all together, there may be synergism between the Albertan scientists as well as the incoming scientists. In my opinion, based on the experience I have, people with new ideas always revitalize the institutions. Is there anything you'd like to add to conclude our conversation? I would say I think we have a duty, really, for this, not just for scientists, but for the people in Ukraine. We really do. From a scientific perspective, again, providing some financial stability and opportunities for them to conduct research in Canada. I think that will be the greatest greatest things we can do, whatever they learn here, when they go back to their country and do it. That is the important thing. You know, you will see a cascading impact. You know, when you somebody trained here, go back and do something in their society that affecting the impact in the Ukrainian society too, not just one individual anymore. We're talking about the impact at the societal level. That's the greatest pleasure I think anyone can have. Dr. Nadir Erbrigan is chair of the Department of Renewable Resources at the University of Alberta. Sergei Romanenko, meantime, is still near Kyiv. And after my conversation with Rod O'Connor, I reached out to him. Is there something you'd like me to tell scientists in Canada, I said. Anything we should know, Sergei, how Canadian research and universities could be helpful that you would like me to pass along. He sent back this message. Thank you very much for your email. Sorry I'm a bit slow with my responses. This is because only at night I have some calm time to sit and do something in front of my computer. Sometimes the internet here could be slow. I'm in a rural area. But mostly because it's not easy to coherently express my train of thoughts. Different emotions from hope to desperation are filling up my mind over the top. I have to present a reasonable message. Please give me a day or two, and I'll try to make one which would hold on reason rather than on emotions. Wow, that took my breath away. Even under duress, Sergei Romanenko behaves like a scientist, gathering his thoughts, not quick to draw conclusions, and to keep a hold on reason With all that's happening to his country, Ukraine, well, that tells me a lot about the quality of his research. Let's wish him well, and everyone else displaced by this mindless hostility. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Genome Canada for making this podcast possible. Until the next time, I'm Don Hill.